gentlemen. Welcome back to these. Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Greg Dutch is sitting across from me. Greg, how you doing this evening? Dude, I, I, I got to tell you, it's probably short-lived. It might even end the night we're recording, but the Orioles are 6-0. <laughs> and oh. Dude, they yes. have not – they were 5-0 and oh in 1970, year of my birth, mm-hmm. year that they won one of their three World Series. Yep. And, man, it has been fun because every expert picked them to finish at the bottom. Now, it's early, and they still could. <laughs> but right now, I'm loving it. You're stoked right now. I man. am, dude. And and they beat – sorry, Nathan – the Red Sox last night in a comeback <laughs> victory, baby. Chris Davis nice. went yard, hit that thing like a moonshot. You can tell I'm excited. Now, right now, there's a game going on. We were losing 2 to nothing when I got here. I'm not even going to check it, obviously, because we got bigger fish to fry tonight. That's but doing right. great. That's right. Um, so excited about tonight's guest. We're going to um, get to him in a moment. Um, but first, Greg, uh, we've got some really exciting news. We have another sponsor who's um, decided to kind of take us under their wing and help promote what we're doing over here at these go to 11, um, olivetree.com. Uh, they are um, great, great resource oh, they're, they're for terrific, biblical right? software. Um, and so, Greg, you've had an opportunity to just kind of mess around on the site a little bit and um, get to you know maneuver around a little bit. So go ahead and uh, just tell us a little bit about some of the things that are going on over there. Yeah, man. I mean, I'll tell you, the, the coolest thing about Olive Tree, Nathan, and I, I hope the listeners just, just buy this, is I, I've been using them for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they very kindly just blessed you and me with some really cool stuff yep. uh, that we can access now. Thank you, Olive Tree, for that. Uh, but just their software is so good, particularly – I mean, it's good on a MacBook, PC, but their mobile platform. Mm-hmm. Like here I am. I, I, I got it open right now. Mm-hmm. My iPad, my iPhone, split screen. So I'm looking at my ESV Bible on yep. the left screen. And, man, just with a, a touch of a button, you could pull up everything from the ESV study notes. Or nah, now I want to look at a map. Mm-hmm. Now I want to look at Calvin's commentary. Yeah. Um, and you say, wow, there's some cool stuff. I can't buy all that. Uh, no, but the great thing about it is they have a uh, kind of a, you know, a lifelong uh, path that you can right. slowly add things. It never right. goes away. Uh, they're offering a great special for our listeners yeah. right now, too. Uh, 20% off everything yeah. on olivetree.com. Uh, if you use our special promo code, which is what, Nathan? Do you have that? Yep. Go to 11, the yep. number 11. So G-O-T-O-1-1. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, really excited about them. And, of course, uh, you know, not forgetting about Mission Aware, who signed on with us as well. So, yeah, yeah um, I think we're going to be back to them next week, too. Yep. We're, we're really, really pumped about these uh, these guys. And, uh, you know, Olive Tree, again, uh, you you – I rarely like to say that, but I'll tell you, the neat thing is it's not like a sponsor that uh, we have to pretend like we're into. Hey, early Hungarian (laughs) hand basket weaving products for 15% off. Who can live with that? I mean, this is something that we use. Right, uh, and have been using them since before uh, before they even knew who we were. Yep, and it's uh, really, really great. And 20%, pretty nice uh, deal, and you're going to see some great stuff. We talked to them earlier today. We've got some special guests coming up in the next month or two. We'll we'll share that at another time mm-hmm. where some of their works are going to be discounted as well. So um, I'd say for the Bible student, uh, whether you're a lay-level student, you're a Sunday school teacher, uh, you're, you're working with a youth group, small group discipleship, you're a pastor, um, you, you, this is going to benefit you. Yeah. Terrific product. And uh, again, 20% off with GoTo11 if you put that in our promo code box. 
Um, and dude, it's good to be back home. I've been I've been on a couple other podcasts, which have been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, tell uh, us a little bit about that. You were you were over in the uh, Reformed Pub there on Friday. I was on the then... pub Friday night, I think. I think that was released Monday of Monday, this past yeah. week. Uh, Lesson Tanner, man, those guys are just awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I have learned a lot from them. Yeah, just the way they sort of run a network, do a podcast, yeah. seemingly effortlessly. Yeah, uh, Les is a guy we can pray for. A very talented graphic artist guy who is a temporarily out of work. Uh, and just has his hands in so many things and just does a masterful job. Tanner, who does a great job, happens to also be a full-time medical student. Yeah. And somehow, dude, they pull off this this site, the pub, yep. the pubcast, that's just so good. So that was a blast. And then a smaller podcast, but mm-hmm. uh, two guys, uh, Ty and I think Caleb, he wasn't there, Hilbert, their brothers, do a little podcast called uh, The Emmaus Road. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's the – or it might just be The Emmaus Podcast. If you look up Emmaus – Hilbert, H-I-L-B-E-R-T. Find it doing a really good job. I think they've just started out. And we had a great time talking about expositional preaching Calvinism. But brother, there's no place like home. That's right. And uh, today we are, again, so excited about the guests we have on. Scott Christensen uh, wrote a great book, uh, What About Free Will? And we're going to be talking to him all about uh, free will, uh, not in the context in which people are thinking right now. But, not necessarily. Um, yeah. Not necessarily. Um, but Scott, how are you doing today? So excited to have you on. Uh, I'm doing great. It's, uh, it's my pleasure to be with you guys. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Scott, uh, we, we'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your friends, your family, where you're from. Uh, kind of give us the, the rundown on who you are and what you're doing. Well, I don't know if I have any friends, but I do have a family. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm a well, I'm a pastor. I, I pastor a small church in a very rural area of Southwest Colorado, a little town called Mancus, and uh, been here for almost 13 years. And uh, graduated from the Master Seminary in California. And um, let's see. I have uh, a beautiful wife. We've been married almost 23 years, mm-hmm. and uh, I've got four boys. Uh, my oldest is 20. I've got a, uh 18-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 9-year-old. Very cool. Uh, and, and just so I have it, uh, Scott, I, I've been uh, alternating between Christensen or is it Christensen? Oh, my. Um, it, it's, a, it's a Danish name. And the the correct pronunciation is actually Christensen, but oh I've my never, goodness, I've never used it that way. Uh, you know, Christensen, Christensen. Cool. Uh, different people pronounce it differently, and and I, I answer to anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're so lax about it, man. Because if Nathan and I can get a name wrong, we will. That's right. multiple times in a podcast. That's right. <laughs> Very good. Uh, but you can also guarantee we might get it right once. Oh you yeah, know, during yeah. that time, yeah, yeah. The broken clock principle, no <laughs> doubt. Maybe even twice. Oh, that's great. Um, Scott, there are so many books on Reformed theology out there, um, but you make some uh, pretty great points in your book. Um, how come you think that there are not too many um, issue or too many books out there on the issue of uh, free will? Well, I, um, you know, I wrote this book partly for that reason because I, I could not find any modern book anyway that was wholly devoted just to this topic, uh, unless you go to the philosophical literature, then, then you've got tons of, 
uh, of stuff, but from a biblical perspective, a theological perspective, and particularly from a Calvinist perspective, which is where I come from, uh, there's just there, there wasn't really anything out there. And, uh, you know, most people are familiar with uh, Martin Luther's Bondage of the Will mm-hmm. and uh, and, of course, Jonathan Edwards' Freedom of the Will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those were books that were written hundreds of years ago. And uh, and so uh, my book is in some ways kind of uh, uh, an update or a modern version if you will, and maybe this is presumptuous, but, you know, it's kind of a modern version of Edward's book, Freedom of the Will. Now, it's interesting because when I first finished my book and it was ready to go to the publisher or soon to go to the publisher, I discovered that Randy Alcorn, a popular Christian author, had written a book very similar to mine and claimed to take the position that I take in my book, which is known as compatibilism. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I knew I immediately had to read his book because I thought, oh, no, if he has written what I intended to write, then my book would be unnecessary. Uh, And as it turns out, he comes to very different conclusions than I do. And uh, I ended up writing a review of his book that appears as an appendix um, in in my book. And so, uh, so I still think my book is unique in that regard. Uh, and it's not as if nobody has written on this subject from a Calvinist perspective. Uh, you can find quite a few articles and, and other books that treat it, you know, in a in a very brief kind of fashion. But uh, as far as I'm aware, there is not a modern book that takes the position that I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I have to tell you, Scott, I sense that, you know, 10 percent of the way into the book that, wow, this is good. I, I mean, so often – we uh, Calvinist readers uh, read things, to be honest, that are, are a little bit like preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. They're good. They're helpful. They, they often tend to be um, uh, good at reinforcing things, maybe uh, deepening, clarifying what we already believe. Um, and this was, uh, as I was telling um, Nathan and I, there were just had a number of aha moments. I thought, yeah, you just, you captured something that, I've has always sort of lingered in the back of my mind as an unanswered question. I felt like that happened oh, six or seven times throughout the book. And uh, just want to let our listeners know, of course, we're talking to Scott Christensen, his brand new book from PNR Publishing, What About Free Will? Reconciling Our Choices with God's Sovereignty. Um, and I have to say, uh, man, this is your first book, uh, Scott, and, and what, what a home run you've hit. And that, that's just my opinion. I'm putting it out there. Scott's not paying me to say that. <laughs> We haven't even met, quote-unquote, until tonight, um, but I have been working through it. And I have to say, how does a first-time author get a stellar forward by D.A. Carson? In, in, uh, endorsements from John MacArthur, Michael Horton, Andrew Nacelli. Uh, my first book, I think, got an endorsement from Pastor Billy Bob Johnson of the uh, Holy Ghost Faith Miracle Center of Tabernacle Prayer and Deliverance. But I thought you, Dr. Seuss gave you your Well, yeah, No, I I couldn't get Dr. Seuss, man. I'm going for anything. I'm going for, at the time, my, like, you know, six-year-old son, Benjamin. And he looked at it. He wouldn't wouldn't give me the endorsement. So uh, just that, just a, I'm fascinated to know. um, Can you tell us a little bit about how these really impressive uh, endorsers came about? Because that that speaks volumes when you've got that kind of uh, clout on the cover of your book. 
Yeah, um, it really is truly amazing because, <laughs> uh, you know, who am I? I don't think anybody knows me from Adam. Uh, and I, 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 I pastor churches less than 65 people. So, wow. you know, uh, but, um, you know, I worked really hard on this book. And, uh, and before I completed my manuscript, you know, and, and my proposal to send to publishers, I was able to contact some very awesome scholars, guys like James Anderson that teaches at Reformed Theological Seminary. Yeah, yeah. Matthew Barrett teaches in, in California. He's written a number of great books. And uh, James Spiegel, who's uh, – oh, I can't remember where he's he's from. But all these guys were willing to you know go through my book and look at it and make uh, comments and, and criticisms. And they really helped me uh, fine-tune my argument. And I think as a result of that, when I started – you know, wanting to get endorsements and people saw those names uh, that may not be household names to a lot of believers or even a lot of Calvinists, but they would to these scholars. No doubt. No doubt. And so I was able to get John Frame's endorsement. And of course, uh, you know, I'm a master seminary graduate, so I was able to secure John MacArthur's endorsement. Yes. And those were part of, uh, you know, when I, when I put my proposal together to publishers, I had those endorsements already. And then I got others afterwards. And so my editor, who is who knows uh, D.A. Carson personally, and Carson, of course, was a huge influence on my thinking in this topic. Um, he sent in an email and said, would you be willing to uh, to write the foreword for this book? <laughs> and wow. Believe it or not, Carson wrote back. He says, I'll take a look at it as long as there's nothing I disagree with. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but he was so gracious to do that because he doesn't do that that often he does not that really really stood out to me and uh, i just want you to know brother i'm not bitter at all that i tried to get carson for all three of my books <laughs> and didn't get past i think his second assistant's dog walkers um you know a secretary uh but it was um it was really really something and i did just want to read for our listeners last paragraph of that or an excerpt of dr carson's foreword this is a serious book for serious christians whether they initially agree with Scott or not, best of all, the cast of the book um, is not to turn readers into theological pundits who can gain points over opponents in theological debate, but to engender deeper faith in the God of sovereign goodness while avoiding the temptation to abuse God's sovereignty for blaming him for sin. Rightly used, this book will not foreclose on future discussion. Indeed, each chapter ends with useful questions for group study, but will build up many believers in their most holy faith. Um, just wanted to say how true that was when I read the book, Scott. And uh, thank you for writing this with such a pastoral tone. Um, it's not that it's not polemical. I think there are sections where it very much is so, and rightly so. But deeply personal, deeply pastoral, and uh, we're we're eager to talk to you about it. Yes. Yeah. Now, um, Scott, if you could um, just tell us a little bit, because initially you were not a Calvinist, and so talk to us a little bit about your journey. Um, that, you know, that brought you to the point of, of understanding Calvinism as, um, truth in theology and, and kind of your, your push and drive to write this book. Well, um, you know, I, I became a believer when I was in, uh, you know, my, well, I, I became a believer when I was about 12, 13 years old, but didn't really, 
understand my faith until uh, later on. And I had kind of a crisis in a relationship that really drew me strongly to Christ. And so I began growing as a believer when I was, you know, my early college years. And I, I met a friend who was a Calvinist. I don't think he called himself that. Uh, but he um, he pointed out, you know, passages of scripture that spoke very clearly about God's sovereignty and predestination election. And uh, I grew up in a typical Baptist type of environment where, you know, free will and Arminianism was basically the default mode. And I didn't think any otherwise, you know, I, ne I never even heard of the notion that God sovereignly chooses for salvation and things like that. And so like a lot of people, I totally resisted that notion until, uh, I don't know, so several, four or five months later, uh, you know, really wrestling with it. And I was just sitting in my car one day uh, waiting for a class at the college I was going to and was reading Romans 9. And uh, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks mm. and the reality that, wow, God really is sovereign and chooses us for salvation. And uh, so I really, at that point, never looked back in terms of my acceptance of God's full sovereignty. Um, you know, and what what then... I began a quest for is to understand, well, what does that mean for my choices? Am I a robot? Am I just a little marionette on a set of strings that God, you know, just dangles, you know, across time? Uh, you know, do my choices have any meaning whatsoever? Mm -hmm. uh, is there any sense in which I am free in my choices? And so I wrestled with the question really for 30 years. And uh, several years ago, I did a a series in the book of Ephesians in my church. And of course, chapter one deals very clearly with election. Mm -hmm. And over the course of time, I've been collecting different thoughts of mine on, you know, this whole notion of free will and so forth. And, uh, you know, reading different things and, and kind of collecting it into a file that just began to splinter and turn into other files as it got bigger and bigger. And then I just sort of began to organize my thinking a little more clearly. And, uh, and then when I preached the sermons in Ephesians, the whole question of free will came up. And so I kind of looked back at my notes and kind of used that to guide me in, in preaching a few sermons on it. And then probably a couple months later, it occurred to me, you know, this would make an interesting book. And uh, so I talked to a friend who encouraged me, a, a friend who has a small publishing outfit out of Houston. Hmm. Um, uh, and, uh, and he wanted something really small. He wanted a book that was maybe a third of the size of what I ended up with. Wow. And, uh, and so, but as I got into this topic, I realized you couldn't treat this with a tiny book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so it just grew and grew. And then finally, uh, PNR picked it up and, uh, and was willing to, to publish what I put together. But yeah, it's been a long journey. Um, you know, even though I, you know, came to the conclusion that God is wholly sovereign and basically, you know, fine tune my Calvinistic beliefs over the years, but free will had always been that, that little burr in my side that I could never really quite reconcile. Yeah. And, uh, and so, 
you know, so this is, it's a product of a long series of reflections uh, on this whole thing and, and reading as much as I could about it. Scott, this brings up for me almost a PTSD-like uh, episode. I remember when I was in seminary, we had a transfer student when I was about halfway through, and uh, here we are one day at our little cafeteria. I'll never forget, I o- ordered a, a turkey club sandwich, and we had this conversation about free will, uh, reconciling it. I mean, honestly, your book would have been invaluable to me and all of us at that time, but as you said, there really wasn't one. And... Um, uh, the one particular friend kept saying to me, um, you know, that we, we, there's no way we can actually be free. And I said, well, I said, obviously, I mean, we were both committed Calvinists, definitely believed in the sovereignty of God and salvation. And I said, well, I just, I did choose this, this turkey club uh, instead of, you know, a ham sandwich or something like that. And I remember it got kind of heated as, you know, seminary debates <laughs> often do where you're solving all the theological problems of the world at, at lunch. And, uh, he, he looked at me, pointed his finger at my chest and he goes, you were not free to choose that Turkey sandwich because before the beginning of time, God foreordained, uh, and it, whether he knew what you were going to do, whether he orchestrated it, there was nothing else you could have ordered but that turkey club. And I remember a friend of mine said, yeah, tell me about it. He took the last one. Um, so, so, but I remember having this really intense discussion that, you know, if God has actualized the world from beginning to end as he has, then you're not truly free. And, and I don't need you to interact with that. I think we'll hit you on things throughout this, this talk tonight where uh, you can um, talk about that. But it, it was interesting. Here's a bunch of Calvinists where there was agreement on what we would call the basics, right? Or you might use the mm-hmm. tulip um, acrostic. But the issue of the will, particularly even for the believer, was a much trickier issue um, to get agreement on and, and think through how it works. So, uh, again, you know what, what you've done here is a, a tremendous service. And, uh, well, hey, I'm going to ask you, man. I'm going to take a sideway into this, Scott. <clears throat> Was I free to order that turkey club sandwich? <laughs> I'm just hitting you right between the eyes, and then we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Uh, yes, you were in one sense, and 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 depending on how you define free will, um, you weren't in another sense. Yes. Um, and, and a lot of the a lot of the debate revolves around how you define your terms, and uh, you know the typical. Uh, way that people think about free will is far more akin to what is known as libertarianism, yes. which I critique in my book, which is the standard Arminian position, which I believe fails to take into account, uh, number one, what scripture says uh, about all these matters. Um, but it, uh, it doesn't make sense from our experience either when you really begin to analyze it. Uh, and then the position, of course, that I take is known as compatibilism, which shows that there is a kind of freedom that we have, although that needs clarification as to what that means, uh, and that that is, in fact, compatible with God's meticulous sovereignty, that he does, in fact, determine everything that transpires, including all of our choices. Yes, yes. And and talk to us, uh, Scott, about uh, compatibilism. The first time I heard that term used uh, – uh, ironically enough, was D.A. Carson. This was back, I want to say, in the early 2000s. A friend of mine had given me some 
some tapes. That really dates it. Uh, gave me some tapes on um, Carson addressing the issue of open view theism. And uh, I think the EFCA had put this on uh, at Trinity or some such place. And I'd never heard that term before, compatibilism. Uh, for the first time or two, I thought he was saying cannibalism. And I said, well, that can't be right. Uh, can't, can't, I, I cannot picture Dave Carson talking about cannibalism in this context. And uh, uh, so compatibilism, which is a brilliant word, it, it just uh, brings together so many threads. But could you give us just as best you can a short definition of what that means and then maybe contrast that, as you do in your book, with what we might call fatalism and on the other side, which you just mentioned, libertarianism, which I know you'll qualify so our Rand Paul fans aren't immediately um, you know, <laughs> unplugging because yeah, it's a totally, totally non-political <laughs> version of the term. But yes. uh, threw a lot out to you there. So just kind of uh, navigate us through that, Scott. Yeah, compatibilism is kind of just as it, as it says, you know, it's the idea that God is, in fact, sovereign over all of our choices, and yet there's some sense in which, as human beings, we are still free and responsible for the choices that we make. However, it all depends on how you define our freedom, uh, and the way that compatibilism defines freedom is entirely different than the way that a libertarian would define freedom, which is the typical Arminian position. And uh, essentially what compatibilism says is that there's a dual explanation for all of our choices, that God is the primary and yet the remote cause of our choices, whereas we are the secondary but immediate cause of our choices. Mm -hmm. um, but it also says that we always choose what we want to choose and that what we want to choose is always connected to our strongest motives. Uh, whatever it is that may influence our choices, um, you know, that all gets thrown in the mix, and we always choose what we most want to choose. And, and compatibilism also says that what we want to choose is always in line with what we think is in our own best interest. And, uh, and so we can never act contrary to what we most want to do. Um, and, you know, you can think of multiple scenarios in which that, that takes place. Uh, but in either, either case, that is compatible with the notion that not only do our motives determine our choices, but that is fully compatible with the idea that God can determine choices as well. Mm -hmm. The opposite view of that is known as libertarianism which is the standard Arminian position, and they teach that, that a choice, no choice can be determined. Uh, any choice that is determined or has any kind of sufficient cause, whether that be God or whether it be any other human influence, uh, if that is the case, then our, co our choices would be coerced, and therefore we are not free. And so in order for our choices to be free, they cannot be determined, because determining, you know, uh, sufficient causal reasons for our choices would therefore restrict any notion of freedom. Right. So that's the first idea in libertarianism. Secondly, libertarians believe that you can always choose contrary to the choice that you make. 
and, and so, um, yeah, I give the example of my book. I, I use the example of little Jimmy who doesn't want to eat his broccoli. And uh, in the libertarian notion, uh, Jimmy could never have any sufficient reasons for why he would choose his broccoli to eat his broccoli or not. So he could equally eat it or he could equally not eat it. And there's no sufficient reason for why he would do one or the other. Yes. Otherwise, his freedom would then be eviscerated. It would be restricted. Uh, compatibilism says, no, Jimmy always will have a reason for, wh for whatever choice he makes. And those reasons are sufficient for the choice that he makes. Uh, you know, so, for example, Jimmy doesn't eat his broccoli because he doesn't like it. He doesn't like the taste of it. He doesn't like the way it feels in his mouth and so forth. So that becomes, you know, the immediate reasons why Jimmy won't eat his broccoli. Now, if he chooses to eat his broccoli, it would mean that there's a separate set of reasons for why. Maybe his dad's holding the paddle, you know, <laughs> right, right. behind or something, you know. And, and so there's always going to be a reason, and the most compelling reasons will affect the, the greatest motive, and you always act upon the most powerful motive. And really, this is what Jonathan Edwards, you know, taught in his famous book, Freedom of the Will. Yes. And, uh, and so, so that is contrasted with libertarianism. Now, on the other hand, you have what a lot of Arminians would accuse Calvinism of teaching. And unfortunately, there are even some Calvinists who are so muddy in their thinking about the, what the will is that they tend towards a position that's known as fatalism. Right. And fatalism basically teaches that what will be will be, and there is nothing you can do to change that. Now, in one sense, that is true, because God determines all things. But the point of compatibilism is that God always uses means when it comes to our human choices, so that God never bypasses our will. God mm -hmm. never bypasses, you know, the temporal... Uh, circumstances that influence the choices that we make. Uh, so even though he is the primary and ultimate cause of our choices, um, we also are very involved in making those those choices. And so there's a dual explanation uh, for our choices according to compatibilism. And, and, and Jonathan Edwards was the first one really in church history to, to truly articulate that position. Some people would say that that uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin, you know, kind of maintained more of a, a, a nascent view uh, of of what Edwards articulated more fully, you know, a couple hundred years later. Um, and there's probably some truth to that, uh, but Edwards really was the one that first articulated these notions. But he didn't call it compatibilism. Right, right, mm. yeah. yeah, yeah. But compatibilism it, is a modern term that that really has come in the philosophical world, and these are terms that are thrown around even among secularists. So it's not something unique to to Christian theology. Right, but yeah, Christian and, theologians have borrowed the term compatibilism and libertarianism to describe their their positions. And uh, and no shock there, uh, Scott, that Edwards would be the guy to advance it, as brilliant as he was. Uh, you know, really, I remember a, uh, a seminary professor of mine saying, you know, he's just as much of a philosopher, perhaps, as a theologian. Yeah, when we had John Frame on um, 
this podcast several months ago, Nathan, remember on the uh, history of Western philosophy yeah. and you and I felt increasingly stupid yeah. as the interview went on. <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, I think Nathan and I felt like characters from the Simpsons <laughs> as we, uh, you know, pretended and feigned our, uh, our understanding of what he said that I'm not at all shocked that Edwards would be the one to of course advance it. Uh, and, and I remember, uh, reading, uh, a freedom of the will and, uh, it was just very robust, but again, a very challenging book. W- would you say Scott, that compatibilism is one of the reasons that we find this almost casual ease in scripture of moving from sovereignty language for lack of a better term to human responsibility language, like Peter's preaching in Acts uh, 2 and Acts 4, that Jesus was delivered up according to God's sovereign purpose and plan. I mean, it's about as, quote-unquote, scripted as you could portray uh, the death of Jesus, yet he simultaneously hammers the leaders of uh, God's people that freely chose to reject the Son of God. There's just an ease in apostolic preaching, it seems to me, uh, to move between these two categories because, again, while they didn't use the term, that is, would you say, the tone of theology and scripture in which they're writing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can find multiple examples of passages that that uh, demonstrate God's sovereignty right alongside the voluntarily made choices, and that's another way of describing freedom of the will, um, as Edwards called it, uh, from a biblical perspective, is that our choices are always voluntarily made. And the more voluntarily our choices are made, the more freedom we have in making them. Uh, And so, you know, now this gets into a lot of other questions about depravity and things like that. But, But yes, essentially, you know, people freely make their choices unless there is some sort of external coercion. And yet, from God's perspective, God never coerces anyone to act against their will. Mm. And there may be other circumstances, temporal circumstances, or people, or situations that may bring in coercive elements, and I talk about some of those in the book. But God himself never coerces anyone to act against their will. In that regard, you can say that people always act freely according to their strongest desires, their strongest motives. Now, in the case of the pilot and the Roman, uh, you know, soldiers and, and the Jewish leaders, they willingly, voluntarily, freely chose to crucify Christ. And yet, at the same time, Peter in his sermon in Acts is saying that God has already predetermined that this would happen. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, and so they work together where God is obviously the primary cause, but humans are the secondary causes of their choices, and, and and they do so intentionally, willingly, and that's where our responsibility comes in, and that's the way Scripture defines our responsibility. Uh, in the libertarian notion, uh, people, you know, libertarians and Arminians would say, we're not responsible unless we could have acted otherwise, and that's yeah. not how Scripture you know, defines our responsibility. Our responsibility is always defined by what our intentions are. What is in your heart? Yes. You know, what is it that you truly desire? That determines, you know, your motives, and uh, and your motives are always the basis for moral culpability. Mm-hmm. It's not whether or not you could have chosen otherwise. Um, you know, we know, for example, that as the Bible describes human depravity, 
you know, in that sense, we are bound by um, our corrupted natures, and our corrupted natures are going to always determine the sorts of motives that we have with regard to moral choices. And so because our nature is corrupted, our motives are always going to be corrupted, and so we're always going to choose things that are based on corrupted motives because we have a corrupted nature. Mm. And it's only until we are regenerated that we have the capacity to make choices that are you know, truly God-pleasing uh, in that regard. And so when it comes to moral choices, yes, our will is bound. Uh, it is enslaved to our sin nature. Mm. Uh, and to the sinful motives that are produced from that sinful nature. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you know, out of the heart, out of the mouth come, you know, these various filthy uh, motives and, and actions, you know. And so uh, so in that sense, we are free and in bondage at the same time. We're only free to act according to our strongest motives, and if our motives are always being corrupted because of our sin nature— and we're only free to make corrupted choices. Mm-hmm. Well said. Uh, that's great. Um, Scott, in your book, um, and once again, we're talking to um, Scott Christensen. Um, his book uh, is called What About Free Will? Um, again, PNR Publishing uh, put this out. Scott, in your book, you talk about not just our will, but God's will as well. And you illustrate this in the story of Joseph. Um, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, the, the, this this gets into other questions. You know, okay, does God, you know, if God determines um, all of our choices, that must include our evil choices as well. So, if God is the ultimate determiner of our evil choices, does that then make God culpable for, uh, you know, the evil that we do? Well, no. Uh, first of all, both Arminians and Calvinists would affirm that God is not evil and that He can have no evil motives. God can never act in any evil way. And yet that is not somehow contrary to the notion that God can decree evil to take place. Mm. Um, And I think the clearest uh, explanation of how you resolve that tension comes in the story of Joseph. As you know, uh, Joseph uh, was sold into slavery by his brothers, this evil act that his brothers committed. And years later, he became the prime minister of Egypt, and his brothers reunited with him after a famine, and they came to get food from Joseph, and he had the authority to do all that. And and, uh, he reveals himself to his brothers, and of course, they stand before him in fear and trembling. Now this guy has the power to wipe us out, you know, and this sort of thing. And, and, And Joseph, if you read Genesis 45, Joseph is very clear that they acted evil, evilly in in uh, selling him into slavery, and yet in the same breath he says, but I want you to know that God sent me here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're thinking, wow, this is, this is interesting. And then when you get to chapter 50, in, in the iconic statement that, Jesus, or that Joseph made to his brothers, in which he said, what you meant for evil... God meant for good. There's a lot of things to unpack in that statement, but essentially he is attributing evil intentions to his brothers for the evil that they did, but he's also saying that God acted in the same event, causing the same event, and yet God had good intentions for it. 
Mm-hmm. So the point is, is that God can decree the same event and and have a good intention for that evil event, whereas the human secondary agents have evil intentions for that same evil, and therefore they are culpable, and God is not culpable, because he can never have an evil intention for the evil that he decrees. He always has some good purpose for the evil that he ordains in this world. And sometimes we don't know what that is, because God hasn't told us. Mm. Uh, There could be any, you know, a thousand different reasons why God may ordain some evil action or some evil choice, uh, and he may not tell us what those are. You see the same thing, for example, in, in Pharaoh. I think it's 19 times in the book of Exodus that we read of Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Mm -hmm. And if I'm correct, I think 10 of those times it says that God hardened his heart, and 9 of those times it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Mm -hmm. And they're interspersed. Mm -hmm. So it's not as if God hardened Pharaoh's heart at one moment and then decided to let, you know, drop back, and then suddenly now Pharaoh hardens his own heart. No, the the implication is, is that this is a simultaneous action. Yes. That as God is hardening Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh is hardening his own heart, and he does so willingly. Yes. Mm. He's not acting against, you know, God has not forced him to act against his will. Um, and and yet, God is still standing behind those choices. This, this would he does so for a good reason, to magnify his glory through the exodus and so forth. Yeah, this, this would have helped me so much, uh, Scott. I mean, it does now, too, at 45, but when I was about 22, the first sort of theological exercise, I didn't know that's what it was I ever did, is I sat down with a Bible, my old NAS uh, study Bible or whatever it was at the time. I sat down with that and a, um, a legal pad and a, and, and a pen, and I drew columns. And I must have spent a solid week. I, I knew I was going to figure out the pattern. There has to be a pattern here. Um, you know, g- okay, God hardened, for, then Pharaoh, I, w- I was going to figure it all out, tell all my friends, and, and basically, so I figured out the whole hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And uh, I think what you just said so casually nailed it in, in that, you're right, there, there's almost an interchangeableness there. And the banner to me that hangs over that from a theological, philosophical perspective is compatibilism. That Pharaoh is hardening his own heart. Yes, God's hardening the heart. But as Paul makes so clear in Romans 9, we, we cannot say to him that who can resist his will. Um, Paul doesn't let the, the robot argument uh, hold any water. Um, because the will of the sinner, in this case Pharaoh, is unquestioned. Um, you know, that it, to me is one of the most helpful um, aspects in talking to people that object to Calvinism or uh, the sovereignty of God in general, is that, no, no, we're, we're saying uh, man is choosing to reject God. That's not a fiction uh, to just yeah. conveniently fit with our theology. So, again, brother, why couldn't you have written this book about <laughs> 25 years earlier? Um, if you, you're probably going to tell me you weren't ready back then. Yeah, I wish somebody had written it for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, for sure. Uh, Scott, I want to roll off uh, Greg's comment about robots. What would you say to someone 
who um, and and I've heard this. Um, you know, I, I've heard uh, many different objections uh, when I've tried to explain Calvinism and to you know the fairness of uh, my free will friends, my Arminian friends. Um, I, I do a uh, horrible job at explaining it sometimes. But what would you say as a common objection uh, to address the common objection? Well, if we don't have free will, then we're just a bunch of robots. Yeah, well, the, the, first of all, when when that accusation is made, it's the assumption that Calvinism amounts to fatalism. Yes. Mm. And, and therefore, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you know, it's like the soldier, you know, it says, well, you know, God's determined that I'm going to either live or die, and so it doesn't matter what I do. So, you know, I'll just walk on top of my bunker while the enemy is, you know, firing at me, and I'll take off my helmet and my flak jacket, and if God determines that I'm going to die, you know, the bullet will hit me. And if he doesn't, then it won't. And it doesn't really matter what I do. Well, that's a false narrative. That is not what Scripture teaches. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Scripture teaches that God always accomplishes his purposes through means. And those means are our responsible, active, you know, obedience to what God has called us in some cases. And in, in other cases, just simply the cause-effect reality that you know choices have reasons yeah. you know and that you can understand why certain things happen by just backing up and saying okay what happened here what were the causes what were the what was the cause effect pattern you know and so our choices are always determined and yes. yet they are still freely made because we voluntarily make the choices that we make um and so so Calvinism does not amount to fatalism, and that's basically what the argument is. Well, then you're just saying that we're just robots. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that God can determine our choices, and yet in no way is God acting in a coercive way. Yes. Um, now, we may not understand the mechanics of how God can cause us to make certain choices, because all we really know is our own experience. All we know is this is the choice that I made. And nobody has the sense that when they make their choices, for the most part, that they're acting like robots unless they're under some other external coercion, like somebody's got a gun to your head. Right. Yeah. You know, but the reality is is that even under those circumstances, you still make the choice. Yeah. You know, I use the illustration. You walk down the street, somebody puts a gun to your head, you know, and says, give me all your money. Well, you feel forced to do that. But the reality is you could resist that if you had some reason for doing so. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe you thought you could overpower the guy and take the gun out of his hand or something. Right. Uh, you know, but there's always going to be a reason for the choices that you make. And in that case, even though they're coercive, you know, you are still making a choice based on the set of circumstances that bring about the most compelling motive. In that case, you want to save your life. Your life is worth more to you than your money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and even though you were under coercion in that case, and I argue in the book that coercion in those situations does lessen our responsibility. So that the more voluntarily that we choose, the more responsible we are in the choices that we make. Yeah. Uh, so you know, so as far as the you know, you know, the whole robot argument, it, it just you know, it doesn't hold up water. You know, and you just ask people, well, did you do what you want? Did you choose to do what you wanted to do? And, and yeah, of course, we all have some sense that we act freely. The question is, why do we do that? Why do we mm-hmm. act in the way that we do? And I suggest in the book that we always act according to the most compelling motives, you know, based on the influences that, that you know, 
that surround the various choices that we make. And uh, I have to ask you this, Scott. We're uh, boy, the time's gone quickly. I, I could talk about this with you all night. I really could. This is one I heard years ago. Just uh, and and don't feel free to treat it gingerly if you don't like it. I'd, I'd really love to get your uh, very considered opinion on this. I've used it colloquially. I picked it up from somebody years ago when they bring up, as Nathan just said, the robot objection that if you put a snake in a room, um, you know, and you put two baskets in each corner. You know, in one, you've got a basket of fresh fruit. In the other, you've got a, a basket of live mice. If you put that snake at one end of the room, um, he is free or it is free it, in one a very legitimate sense to go to either basket. But it will choose the live mice 100% of the time uh, because it will choose according to its nature. Um, That's right. And so do you, do you think that captures much of what you're talking about? When you start unpeeling the onion uh, and yes. and see what's what's behind a choice. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. You know, we always choose according to our nature. So, from a biblical perspective, we are either dead in trespasses and sins. Yes, as Paul says in Ephesians two, or in a few verses later, we are alive in Christ, uh, which means that we have been regenerated, and therefore our nature has been changed. A new nature has been given to us. And, of course, we still have the remnants of the old nature, which is why we still continue to sin as believers. Yes. And, and so there's that battle that now takes place between the new nature and what remains of the old that is being put to death. Um, but, you know, so there's lots of practical implications for how you think about all sorts of things, you know, evangelism, discipleship, you know, sanctification, uh, and, and so forth, preaching. Uh, and profound implications for how we think about ministry and life and the Christian life. Yes. And so, yes, very important. Scott, thank you so much for coming on. Like Greg said, there are so many questions that we wish we could unpack just sitting here. I was thinking about several other yeah, kind me, of rabbit trails that we too. could go down and, and really explore with this. And, um, you know, if you're willing, we'd love to have you back on and maybe explore some of those, uh, some of those rabbit trails with us. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, once again, PNR Publishing, uh, Scott Christensen, what about free will, reconciling our choices with God's sovereignty? Um, pick it up. Also, um, we're uh, going to let Scott go in just a minute here, and then um, stay tuned because we're going to um, reveal how you can uh, win a copy of Scott's yeah. book. So, um, Scott, once again, thank you so much. This has been so great. Um, we're going to go ahead. We're going to sign off now. Gentlemen, we just rocked the Casbah. Rocked it. All right. So, uh, again, that was uh, Scott Christensen. What about free will? Um, we want to put a copy of this book into uh, some of your hands. So I'm going to put this um, on Greg right now. Um, so, Greg, take it away. Yeah, earlier today, I just do want to say to everybody, uh, our listeners, if you haven't followed us on Twitter and uh, – you say, I might not even have a Twitter account. Get one. It's quick and yeah. easy. You can filter it as you want to weed out all the junk and follow us. Because every so often, Nathan, we're going to be pick, picking up our game on this mm -hmm. where we're sometimes spontaneously going to just say, hey, you know, maybe uh, on a random Tuesday afternoon like we did today. Yeah. Hey, put out a tweet. Yeah. Say something about these go to 11 that's kind of interesting, creative, can mm -hmm. spread it to your contacts. Um, and so what we're going to do tonight, we put that out around 3 o'clock Eastern time this afternoon. Yep. 
We've had about 10 or 11 people that have done that, so thank you, everybody. I've got my little randomizer here. We're going to choose two people right now. How exciting is this, Nathan? Uh, We are cutting edge. Cutting edge that are going to win uh, Scott's book, What About Free Will? And we'll get your address. Uh, What we'll do is we'll follow you if we choose you so that we can direct message each other Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, make sure that we get your mailing address, get that out to you probably no later than the end of this week, which would probably be Friday around April 15th. And then in uh, another moment, we're going to tell two more potential winners how they can win two copies, so four copies. Ready, Nathan? All right, drum Drum roll. roll. If we had a drum. If we had a drum. All right, there we go. (laughs) First person is Daniel Bryan at dbryan33. Congratulations, uh, Daniel. Daniel, that's what the randomizer brings up. Let me see uh, who you are. He's a Jesus follower, a grace recipient, blessed husband, homeschool dad, OCD engineer. I like that. <laughs> Constitutional conservative, skillet junkie, and GT fan. All right, man. Um, can't quite tell where Daniel lives, uh, which is cool. doesn't need to tell us that. But, Daniel, you just uh, thank you for doing that. You just picked up What About Free Will by Scott Christensen, that awesome Man, you just heard unfold this really substantive book. And the second one is, let me go back to the beginning of the app. This is live podcasting, folks. Nathan, you're going to think I'm making this up. (laughs) What do you got? What do you got, Greg? People, I want to say this is a (laughs) fun, sexy Bible time. We couldn't make this stuff up if we tried. Incredible. Uh, I'm sorry. Fun. Got to calm down here. Fun, sexy Bible time. The handle is at FS Bible Time. Makes sense. Dude, I got to check this out. Okay, hold on. Fun, sexy Bible Time. Oh, it's a podcast. Greatest Christian podcast of all time from at On Green Mountain. Almost the most humble, already endorsed by seven of the 12 original apostles. Nathan, homework assignment. You and I are checking this out. Well, fun, sexy Bible time. Whoever you or he or she is, you have won a copy of What About Free Will by Scott Christensen. Dude, this is incredible. Oh, it's going to take a while to recover. All right. So, if you haven't followed us on Twitter... Uh, follow us because again yeah. you'll hear of these contests uh, that we do. Uh, obviously, we have a Facebook page as well. We'll do it yeah. on Facebook sometimes. Twitter's often a little easier, a little yeah. instantaneous, but we'll do Facebook too. But uh, tonight we're kind of emphasizing Twitter. Also, wanted to say um, we're going to give to uh, new reviewers. Yeah. Uh, so if we have two and nobody else, then those two will get them. If we have six, we'll do a randomizer, and two of the six will get them. If you go to iTunes and write us a review, yep. those reviews, Nathan, as we know, help us so much. Yes. Just expand the audience a little bit, yep. get to some people that would not otherwise hear of uh, uh, our network. These go mm-hmm. to 11. Um, so all you got to do is go to iTunes, write a review. I'm going to tell you what, doesn't even have to be positive. We're not going to yeah. coerce you. That's as right. We just heard Scott Christensen say there's legitimate freedom in our will, a properly understood. Uh, you just put a review up there. And uh, it normally takes about 24 hours to appear. Yep. Then email us at – Nathan, give the address. I always screw it up. At these go to 11. It's the number 
11. Yeah. I'm sorry. At these go to 11, 15. It's 15. the number 15. Everything else is spelled out. Yes, 11 is spelled out. These yes. go to 11, the number 15. At gmail.com. Yeah, email us uh, that, hey, I'm the dude that and, – and give us the name that you put your review under and uh, leave us your address. Uh, and uh, that way if you win – we will send out uh, this book to you again within the week. Yeah, please make sure you clarify what your handle is because, you know, the hot, sexy mama doesn't, yeah. um, you know, or, that means or, nothing to or us. Or fun, sexy Bible That's time. right. <laughs> so let us know your name <laughs> and what your handle is when you put up that iTunes review. <laughs> anyway, wow, I'm just picturing. Dude, you think the, you think the Reverend James King would have a comment on Fun, sexy. Dude, hey, what if it was fun, sexy King James Bible time? That might, <laughs> he'd be all for that. He'd, one. Be, he'd, he'd be he'd be happy about it. So, yeah. Wow. Sorry, everybody. That broke us up a little bit. But please, uh, yeah, write a review again. We we ask you that uh, not for self-aggrandizing purposes, right? But for uh, you know communication, promotional purposes. Yeah. Because we love when we hear, and it happens uh, from time to time. Hey, I was uh, on iTunes. I was mm-hmm. looking for some podcast and you guys popped up um so please uh write a review so this is for new reviewers or tell you what dude i don't know if you can write a second review i don't know what itunes rules are i'll leave that to everybody in their yeah. conscience but again new reviews get them out and next week nathan yep uh when we'll we have, have uh, a a wonderful guest I, i'm gonna already say her uh well i'll give the first name name marcy this girl yes. is gonna be amazing yeah I cannot wait to get to that podcast yep. next week. It's going to be very, very interesting. A little hint, a journey out of legalism into grace. So we'll announce it at that podcast. Yep. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, congratulations to our two winners. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. These go to 11.